Hi, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort from Pixelkin.org, and I'm joined by my worst enemies in the entire world, Christina Warren, Senior Tech Correspondent at Mashable, and Brianna Wu, Head of Development at Giant Space Cat, who both want me to be very scared all the time. <laughs> we do. We do. Well, no, we don't want you to be scared. We, we, we just want you to enjoy one of the greatest movies of the last 25 years, and that enjoy. movie is Scream. <laughs> It's I, funny and it's good and and it has like hot girls and hot boys in it and it, and and fit terrible late nineteen ninety six fashions. It's so good. Nineteen ninety six fashions. It is a little sad because that's it's where terrifying. David Arquette and it's it's where David Arquette and Courtney Cox met <gasps> and fell in love. I didn't actually know that. Yeah, that's how Aww. they met and how they fell in love. And now it's sort of sad since they're like divorced and stuff. Um, but you know, it's it's a good stuff. Well, I feel I feel like if I watch it, this will be a test. I, it may be, okay, so do you think the, the TV show Scream is as frightening as the original movie? Well, what scares you about horror movies? Literally I mean... freaking everything. Um, mostly, I like, home intrusion is my big thing. That freaks me out a lot. Like, if you get me thinking about how I would hide from somebody who broke into my home, that I, that'll keep me there for a good few minutes, just staring at the wall, like, heart pounding. Sharks are also a big thing. <laughs> are there sharks are, in Scream? Like, is that no? The, there are the no sharks in Scream. They finally be. reveal in the end that the killer was no. the shark all along. That no, are you able no to sharks. watch like aliens? Yes, but yes. that's like a that's million like times way worse. Scarier. Home. Yeah, it's different though, man. Because it's in space. I'm not in space. I'm here on Earth with the sharks and the spiders. <laughs> How so you haven't seen like The Shining, which is one of the greatest movies ever made. I have not. And that is tempting to me because I do I do want to watch The Shining just because it's so legendary. Le- I The book is really good too. Oh, it's really <sighs> good. Yeah. Stephen yeah. King at his best. That, that might be Stephen King, King at his it? most coke fueled. I have not seen it. I oh. I object to the scarification of clowns in this society. I feel that they are unfairly maligned. Actually, clowns have a really long history of being horror figures. They and do. It's only like in this modern context we like to think of them as happy figures, but they actually have a history of being horror figures. Well, I, I prefer to think of them as as happy figures, Brianna. Why would you ruin this well, for me? Well, that's because you haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you want me to go through life quaking and afraid. I but recently. You're not- Oh. You won't be afraid. It's like you will face your fears and realize that the stuff is enjoyable. It'll be like, you know, <sighs> when you eat that type of food you've been afraid of and then you finally try it and you're like, oh, this is actually yeah. delicious. Cow It'll tongue. be the escargot of movies. Beef tongue. It'll be the beef tongue of movies. All right. So It will also help you survive for once Seattle is hit with the earthquake and you're put into like a survival <laughs> mm. situation. Like this will give you vital <laughs> skills. Honestly, shouldn't yeah, I be watching article? disaster movies? I, I watched Independence Day. I know all about how to survive a disaster. But that Seattle article was so much scarier than like any horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. genuinely. Yeah. No lie. All right. I will hold you both personally responsible if I can't sleep after I watch. Now, which one, which one do you want me to watch? Is it The Shining? Is it It? Or is it Scream? Scream. <sighs> Scream? Scream. TV yeah. show or movie? Scream. Uh, movie first, and then you watch the TV show. The TV show is a totally different beast. No, she has to see the TV show for context, Brie. Yep. I agree. Okay. I agree. Okay. Okay. I will watch one of these things, uh, and it'll be, it, it'll be it Scream. It really is one of the greatest horror it's movies so ever good. made. Yeah. It's so good. And the Lilling, <laughs> everything about it, it's funny. It's a funny movie. It's really good. And I probably shouldn't say this, but like every time Rose McGowan is in the news, like I think about that right. shot when <laughs> she's, yes, when I she yes, was exactly. coming down the yeah. stairs 
to the yep, garage. Yep, 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 yep. And like her nipples are pointing out of her <laughs> top. And that's like my first mental image every single time she's in the news. Man, so, you're really selling this to me. <laughs> yeah, it's Pete so, Ulrich. He was so cute. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he was so cute. Yes. But he's kind uh. of, oh, I don't want, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We won't be starting a horror film podcast since I wouldn't be able to participate at all except to talk every week about how much The Ring has traumatized me. So, <laughs> so this week, uh, the news broke that the website Ashley Madison has been hacked. Um, it's yep. a web- What was that? I said, yep. I was just yep. saying, yep. Very yep. Uh, it's a website that has 37 million users. It facilitates affairs between married people, and the hackers managed to obtain user profiles, usernames, passwords, emails, etc. And this is super, super duper crappy because as a website, that helps people do something that is supposed to be very clandestine, like it of uh, above all should be have its user should be considering its users needs and safety it's owned by avid life media which also owns cougar life and established men and when they when the data was was stolen they found that it was not encrypted at all which seems i I imagine you have a lot to say about this christina the basic (laughs) steps of keeping things safe and you had a really great piece in mashable uh where you pointed or you uh published that pr pitch that they had sent out last november saying that ashley madison called itself the last truly secure space on the internet which turned out to be a gross (laughs) lie (laughs) completely (laughs) fabrication ah so yeah how do you guys feel about the fact that nothing in our lives is secure and we live in fear every day? Life is a horror movie. Yeah, no, I mean, this was <clears throat> so the, the piece I wrote for Mashable, the the title that we ended up publishing was um, <laughs> Ashley Madison is so screwed. And the original title, which you can see on the slug of the post, the URL of the post is and Mike will believe me here is Ashley Madison. is <laughs> Um, and I was very proud of that title and it, it was not, uh, published. Uh, we ended up going for So Screwed instead, which I think actually made it share better. So that's fine. But the lead of my sentence was basically, but my lead sentence basically was, there's no polite way to say this. Avid Life Media, the owners of Ashley Madison, you know, site for, for cheaters, uh, is. And, and that's true. I mean, I think that from a, from a business standpoint, I mean, they had one job. Like you, uh, uh, beyond almost any other site. I mean, uh, Adult Friend Finder was, hacked a couple of months ago and that was bad but this has far more members and um is much more uh is is much better known and so you know you've got to think when any service is hacked it's a problem right Mm -hmm. but when it's a service where the whole idea is as you said you know to be clandestine and um, private to keep you private right i mean that's the whole thing um, it can be it's catastrophic they were hoping to file an ipo in europe sometime this year um that's that's not happening uh, i'm enjoying brianna's just cackling in the background yeah, here no, because how, how how can you go public when literally like yeah. the worst possible thing that could happen to your company has happened yeah well and you mentioned in the article uh an airplane line an airline that had gone back that had come back after a bad crash and rebranded yes. and renamed itself and you said that that might be possible for yeah Ashley i mean Madison. that that I think that could be the only thing that could happen would be a value jet to air, um, air train airways scenario. So, uh, mm-hmm. for, for people who, uh, don't remember, uh, who are too young, Simone, or, or didn't grow up in the Atlanta <laughs> area, um, there was a, a low cost, a low, a, a value airline called value jet, V A L U jet. And, uh, they had really massive safety problems even before the, the crash that ended up kind of killing the company. Um, 
they had a pretty lousy track record. Uh, they had really low cost, but really lousy track record. And there was a, a crash in, um, over the Florida Everglades in 1996 that killed all 110 people on board. And uh, it was a really, really bad crash. And when the FAA went to investigate, they found that a lot of the things that were supposed to, the safety checks that were supposed to take place beforehand hadn't been done, that the planes were poorly maintained. I mean, it was just a, a complete and total show. I mean, it was terrible. And so what happened is they ended up buying this other airline, which was called AirTran, some, uh, you know, something or another, and becoming known as AirTran Airways. And so what happened is they kind of emerged from bankruptcy or whatnot, rebranded themselves as AirTran Airways, and then totally new management ended up taking over. And AirTran uh, was acquired by Southwest in 2011 and then totally subsumed into the Southwest brand in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's weird because even though AirTran did well, obviously well enough for Southwest to, to acquire them, um, they were also an Atlanta-based airline. And it was one of those companies where I would – I flew them like two or three times and they never had a negative experience. But what always went through my mind whenever I got on a, an AirTran flight was, this is really value jet. I'm really yeah. scared. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's hard to stress just how bad a reputation they had for safety yes. in that time. Mm-hmm. So, which brings it's- us to Ashley Madison and the fact that they, again, an airline's one job is to keep its passengers alive. And right. Ashley Madison's job was to keep its users' data secure, secure. where people okay, would not so, find it. So, I have to say something about this. And, I mean, it is like civilly beyond liable in my opinion to have information that is that sensitive to have high up people at the company bragging about your security Uh, and then to not salt and hash your data and that is just unconscionable i mean that would be like Having like being in charge of securing a bank vault and not having a door on exactly, and it is. I mean, you. This is such a key part of cryptography and keeping your data safe. And even in that case, like I mean, even if you do have your data hashed, like they can magically go through and and break the hash. Like there was a really scary article on there. So what they'll do is like if the people sit there and they have the hash. They have tools where on like a mediocre computer, how with the hash, they can sit there and break individual accounts. Now, breaking all the data at once is difficult. But, you know, even then, like this is a really key thing to like protect there. So, I mean, Christina, you reported on this. Have they had some reason for why this data wasn't hashed? No, they haven't said anything. And, you know, I talked to some people who took issue with my article saying, oh, you know, that the email addresses and the password should have been hashed. And they said, well, actually, if you hash the email addresses, then they couldn't ever email users and, and you couldn't do password recovery. Uh, or, 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 or more clearly, you couldn't market to people, which is the real reason why they won't hash email. But passwords yeah. at least should have been been hashed. No, they don't have any reason for that and why the stuff was stored the way it was. Um, you know, the, since the since the hack happened, um, some information has leaked out um, and, and they've issue dmca takedowns on github like okay great so <laughs> Git, so, so github is going to take it down but pastebin and the torrents and the offshore places aren't and as soon as all this information is released it'll be everywhere and the dmca is not going to protect you ashley madison like it's not nope and it was silly to me that a lot of the press response was basically, oh, this criminal act, you know, that's unprecedented, da 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 We were victims just like so many other companies. It's like, yes, you're victims. Here's the deal. You should have but had triple, quadruple, <laughs> you know, 
quintupled levels of security um, because of what your service is. And some people uh, in the, the comments of my post were saying to me, oh, well, you know, what about Snapchat? Snapchat's whole business is on ephemerality and they've obviously had massive privacy problems and I, I, I've called, I've referred to their, their security before as Swiss cheese. I think there are a couple of differences. One, I think that even though they do have their business on ephemerality, we've always known that there's like uh, an analog hole with Snapchat, meaning you can take the screenshot. So there's there's a certain aspect to it that I think even the most basic users understand that everything you send, there's a poten- there's potential for it to be captured again. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is I think that because most of the users of, of Snapchat are under 18, are underage, um, even though arguably we should care more about people who the privacy rights of people who are underage because they don't have the money, oh. it, it's not going to be as big of a concern. Whereas the, the victims in this case are going to be people whose real lives, careers potentially, you know, um, livelihoods are going to be on the line. So it, the, the stakes are a lot higher than, you know, teenage drama getting, you know, spread around. No, it, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, I do want to get to the, to the, you know, kind of the morality aspect of it, because it's really bothered me to see, you know, people I respect on social media, like, okay, A, like, total respect to you, Simone, but you know, like, you started this off the same way I started tweeting about this, Uh saying Ashley Madison is a site for cheaters, which is the way that they market themselves. Yes. But I think I've had some sense slapped into me on that, that there could be people Using that site, they're polyamorous. I am not polyamorous. So That's I didn't a fair think point. about that. But yeah. that could be the situation. No, I've heard that from some people, and and it's funny. One of my one of my poly right. friends told me you know, she she's in an open relationship. She emailed me. She was like, "I loved your Ashley Madison story," and I I I, I made a point not to be judgmental about anybody who yeah, uses the site really at good. all. Yeah, because it, it's not relevant it, to the discussion. It doesn't matter. Nope. Yeah, like um, when but, I, but she told yeah. me she was like, but but it, but it's easy to make the joke, obviously, and 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 I don't I don't I don't begrudge anybody for making the joke. But she said, you know, two words burn her email um you know, for using these sites and oh she's not wrong though you know it's yeah. a really good point um if you're going to be using these sorts of services you almost need a how-to guide which is like you don't use your regular email and you probably don't want to use your real name you know like you have ways to to protect yourself um but yeah no there are definitely more valid reasons for it and, and frankly i'm not i'm not going to pass judgment on other people's situations and relationships when i don't know those details i'm not going to say that just because you do something that i wouldn't do in my relationship um that you deserve to have your information outed i'm, I'm it, not going to make that it's just immaterial you know exactly. and we need we need empathy for people and you know, it could be people in sexless marriages it could be hey, it's just not your business i mean the, well that's the, exactly the it the thing that's, that's here thing. is you know this is a this is a criminal act, but on top of that, like, and this is where I really want to get you know, both of your inputs is, you know, this is an epidemic. I had my forum information for Unreal, which is a site where I've entered in a lot of like technical information about my company. Um, you know, all of that got leaked last week from Epic. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what I entered in, but you know, it's very safe to assume my home address is out there, phone sure. numbers, yeah. all that information. Um, you know, this has happened to PSN. I mean, my question is. Yeah, like, how can we stop this? Because as best as I can figure, the only way to stop this is going to really prosecute some of these companies like Ashley Madison in civil court. 
I, I like, totally agree. I totally it's agree. It's got to happen because you cannot have a company of that scale being that irresponsible. Exactly. And know? that's what I put into perspective for me. Like, I don't care what they do. What this says to me is that companies who should be prioritizing user safety are not doing it. If we can't trust Ashley Madison to do it, I don't see why we should trust any company who you know, has your data to actually keep it safe. Like, and and that's the ultimate thing is that you can do so many things as a, an individual to protect yourself. You can use burner emails, whatever, but it, you're ultimately, it's not in your hands. It's in the hands of Google. It's in the hands of Ashley Madison. It's in the hands of someone else who is either, who doesn't have the tools, who is not using the tools properly, who is not keeping you safe. So, I, I don't know how to solve this particular security problem because it seems like it's it's such a moving target. You know, no matter how safe something is, somebody is eventually going to find a way to get into it. And well, yeah. You know, I did an interview with Vice today about this. And I do think to a certain extent this look, this Ashley Madison was their fault for not having the best security in the business. Absolutely. But I also think we vote with their dollars to a certain yep. extent. And the economic model that we collectively have chosen over and over and over and over again is to allow advertisers to take the data that we allow them to mine for us. That's fair. <laughs> and to rather than pay for products. And, you know, it's at the point where there's a lot of economic value to be had in this information. It's very commodified. Let me tell a really quick story that I told Vice today. Um, one of the women that was so inspirational to me that she's one of the reasons I founded Giant Space Cat. Um, you know, actually, Simone, she's your boss, come to think of it. Um, you know, Nicole. Yeah. You know, she was telling me how frustrating it was looking at buying a house and realizing to what extent it was impossible to buy a house and not get all of that information out there about you mm -hmm. because it does end up in databases it ends up in real estate things. And he, you know, like it's just doesn't make sense to push this back on the consumer. I am careful with this, but there's just a point where I am powerless to stop this. No. And I think you made a great point earlier, Brie, about the fact that the only way I think this will really stop, because you're right too, Simone, the, the security issue and, and the actual technical issue of preventing this stuff is a, is a moving target. And there are always going to be attackers. And as long as you have valuable information, people are going to be after it, whether they are against what you do for political reasons, or they want to make money off of you or for the lulls or whatever. Uh, but I think that... Um, as we've seen again, you know, the, the problem is if we can't trust the companies that really should care about this, how can we trust the companies that maybe don't have as much of an incentive to? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think since so many companies have such piss poor security practices, and we've seen that time and time again, I mean, Sony has been the classic <laughs> example over and over again, right? Yeah. I mean, even before the, the, the Sony Pictures hack, this, the PSN hack. It's proof that they had really terrible security practices. And so if we can't trust those people, um, I think that, that what we have to do, because a lot of times, and this was interesting, you know, that the, um, at one point, you know, the CTO of, of Sony or, or, or CIO, I guess it's I the, the proper term, you know, it bragged in a magazine, you know, that he didn't really want to pay for a lot of security aspects because he felt like it was a bet. Oh. Um, you know, he felt like, you know, honestly, you know, it, it came down to a numbers game where he's like, well, 
if we have these extra practices, it's it's going to cost us more to implement, and the chances of something actually happening are low enough that we'll we'll, we'll take the bet that our insurance or whatever is good enough. That's so and typical so to, Sony. They always put it back on the consumer. And, and so, so to me, that the, the thing there is, the, it's it's saying that those sorts of people. I think you're right, Bree. Like there should be a civil liability. So if companies are doing this stuff, they should be sanctioned. And and I, but I wonder almost. And and I'm not a huge fan of of overregulating stuff. But and and certainly the government doesn't have a great track record with understanding tech necessarily very well. But I do wonder if this is one of those things where the only way we could get maybe the guaranteed action is if the government or other you know organizations said you will be fined you will be found liable you will have you know things come in against you and your your ability to do business will be impacted if you let these things happen and if we find out that this could have been prevented, but it was because of your negligence that it didn't. I, I think that the only way that a lot of these companies will take any you know, precautions is if they're forced to, if it becomes financially untenable for them not to care. I guess I would say like, you know, I was talking at Blogger this weekend about like working with the FBI and how frustrating it was. I couldn't send them a Dropbox link. You know, they couldn't open an email attachment. And, you know, I really wonder in, you know, like having Congress try to pass this, if they can even <laughs> keep up with security. No, I mean that I'm no, not trying I, to be I'm, snide here. I'm not laughing at that. I'm just la- laughing at the sad reality that that is true. No, you're not wrong. You know, and, and that's why I said they have a bad a bad record on this. All I was saying, you know, but but I but I wonder if it that if it's going to take more than just you know the potential civil liability thing. If it would actually would take some sort of act of Congress to say you will be sanctioned in some way, mm-hmm. which man, brings up a whole new bag of worms, which isn't our problem. Which is you know who gets to decide what those minimum qualifications are, who is there, who are they consulting about this, et cetera, et cetera. But well, I do think that you're right. That Ashley that is, Madison, you know, like you yeah. can come in there, you can prove damages to marriages, you can prove yep. like there are a lot of people who are going to end up divorced over this. There are going to be so many class of, action suits against them. Are, it's not even going to be funny. There are, and you know, it's like showing negligence by standard of what you know, best practices of the industry are. I, I, I believe that's something you can do. And, you know, it's it's really my hope is if anything comes out of Ashley Madison that people will, you know, step it up because they'll realize their butt really is on the line with this. Um, and I think the other thing I would say is like I'm making a commitment right now that whenever there's a database out there and someone puts up a website that can like enter in my friend's names and see the stuff about it. You know, I'm just not going to do that because it's, you know, it's invading in their, their private life and their marriage. It's their business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a strong ending. <laughs> oh my God. Strong conclusion. I'm sorry. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by the New Mexico Tea Company, which has been running for over nine years, sor- sourcing fantastic loose leaf tea from all over the world for you, the customers, for me. Uh, they discover and import awesome teas, and they also make some themselves, and they're just focused on introducing you to all new kinds of tea. I know I talked last time about how I have a massive shelf full of tea and it is so it's so hard to know what to buy and what to get and what they do is they send you monthly they have this monthly tea club which for 19.99 a month sends you three different teas so you can actually just 
have tea chosen for you. You don't even have to go into the really expensive tea store and smell it. It comes right to your doorstep. Uh, you can choose between pure tea or herbal tea. And if you have more people in your household, you can double the tea for $29.99 a month. And in the strong words of my friend Taylor Beard, who subscribed to the service. Simone, stop pitching me awesome monthly services. Um, but it, it was, uh, she really liked it. So apparently, yeah, go for it. Um, so yeah, when you subscribe to the Tea of the Month Club, you will have excellent tea. You will learn new things about the world. And you will be very calm and happy drinking your hopefully iced tea because it is blazingly hot this it's summer. so and hot. I'm oh, miserable, miserable and I hate miserable. it. Miserable. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, they sent me a bunch of it. And, you know, the packaging is just top notch. Like the taste of it is amazing. I got it with this really great, you know, infuser. So it's just amazing. But, you know, like, can I give everybody here a productivity tip? Yeah. Yes. Um, a few years ago, I figured this out that the, the four o'clock coffee slash three o'clock coffee is actually a trap hmm. because your brain gets used to that. And so you start slowing down as your body is like getting prepared for it. So one of the ways like I managed to get off of that productivity crutch, it's like switching to tea, which is, um, you know, it's much lower, but you don't have the, the headache and all the caffeine blowback with it. So that is my productivity tip to everyone. Yeah, that's a good idea. I had my roommate make me a cup of tea last night before bed and it was perfect. It was exactly what I needed to fix the wine. Uh, if you <laughs> use the, the code ROCKET at checkout, you'll get 25% off for your first three months of wow. Tea of the Month Club membership, which is huge. It's usually just a That's month. Huge. What the heck? Three months? So three months? Oh my 25% God. off? Yeah. That brings That's it down awesome. to $14.99. So you get so you fifteen. So you say $5 for three months. That's huge. That is so cool. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and membership, people with memberships always get free shipping, uh, but you can use that. If you don't want the membership, you can use that code to get free shipping of one-off items. But again, if you have the membership and you use the rocket code, you get the free shipping. So, that, or sorry. Yeah. You'll get free shipping anyway if you have a membership, but you should use the code because we're awesome. Use the code yes. because we are awesome. Yeah. If you go to nmtco.com slash rocket, uh, you can look at all their stuff there, pick out something that you like, and drink some lovely tea tonight. And thank you so much to the New Mexico Tea Company for sponsoring this episode of Rocket. Drink some tea. <laughs> I like that English accent. That was good. That, 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 that was good. A spot of tea. I'm sure that no one will hate me for that. I'm sure no one will be horribly You're offended. adorable, Simone. You're yeah. so cute. Aww. Aww. You must have been looking at my Facebook photos. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm having uh. such a day today, you guys. So, um... 9to5Mac posted about the Enterprise edition of the Google Glass, which is coming out later this year, but just for um, Glass for Work partners. Yep. <laughs> and there are a few things that are different about it. Uh, it's foldable. It is water resistant. It's more durable. So basically, they're trying to make this model something that people can really use in the workplace that can withstand... Yes. <laughs> I won't say a beating because it probably can't withstand a beating. I don't want to misrepresent 
Google Glass. But, you know, that can it actually can be used in the field. Exactly. Yeah, that can go out with you and be Well, because the existing durable. Google Glass are kind of flimsy. You know, they're not foldable. Mm-hmm. Um, we we had a, one of our our, engine, our CTO, actually, he was a, a explorer, and he got his pair of, of glass, and I went with him to get his fitting. And a week later, he was walking down the street, and he was putting them in their little bag they came with, and yeah. the thing snapped <gasps> off. And um, there, there was some sort of, you know, problem um, where, where the connector was. And, and yeah, he ended up, you know, giving it back to Google. They gave him a replacement. But, um, you know, I've heard that from other explorers, too, that, you know, just the, the, the first edition just was not very durable. And so if you're going to make a, an enterprise and work-focused device, which um, we'll, I, we can get into this a little bit later, but I, I think should have been their focus from the, from the beginning, I think that this is, uh, this is a good way to go. Yeah, definitely. So, and this is kind of what they what they're doing here is moving away from fashion, moving away from having Google Glass as a fashion item. Which, again, why I don't? It, yeah. So they're 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 going towards utility in the same way that I think Hololens is gunning for utility, and I th- I think that's a great move because I mean glass. Th- the Apple Watch is one thing as a fashion item because it has there's a certain glamour I think associated with the iPhone yes. and it takes some of that utility expands that utility while mimicking the fashion statement well, that a wristwatch is. It's a piece is. of jewelry ultimately. I mean, it, it, it's very much a piece of jewelry. Whereas glass, I mean, yes, it was during it, it debuted during Fashion Week and and at the DVF show the models wore it down the runway and that was a a big moment. But they didn't wear it because it was fashionable. It was almost like this futuristic thing. It fit that motif. But but there's also a difference and i think a lot of times people who aren't in fashion don't understand this which is just because you're part of fashion week and you're part of a runway show doesn't mean that you're an actually marketable fashion item very true yeah yeah mm-hmm. i don't know i think it's um it's certainly a much lower cost to entry than you know i imagine developing with hololens is going to yes. be right mm-hmm. you know yeah. because if you're doing with that, you're trying to work with, you know, 3D objects. I, I guess not. There's probably some, like, um, whatever the equivalent of Canvas is going to be. But I don't know. It's it's easier to see. I mean, you were going to say something, Christina? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there have been – so there are a lot of these smart glasses that are already used in um, business and in enterprise and especially in industrial work and have been for a while. And a lot of times, a lot of the most interesting Google Glass apps we ever saw when they were still trying to do the consumer play were coming from the business perspective. And, and my colleague, Seth Fiegerman, wrote something a couple of years ago, you know, even about that. And when when I went to CES a couple of years ago, I met with Epson and they showed me their um, Android-based kind of smart glass, which are terribly ugly and not <laughs> at all, you know, fashionable at all. And you, they have like this little Android phone type controller that's attached to them. But what's great about them is there's actually all kinds of enterprise uses. And so for instance, you keep in mind, say you're in a big warehouse and you're trying to find where a box is located. It can, you know, have like a map involved and kind of show you, you know, based on where you're located or what you're looking at, if there's a little code, can show you where the box is that you need to be at and can show you maybe the code, you know, that's that's happening. So if you maybe if it scans a code with its eyes, it can show you, okay, this is this is, you know, the the thing you need to put in or this is what's what's inside this. I got to see a medical demo where they were using it, you know, for people, for nurses who, you know, one of the big problems that that's people still have our um you know finding veins mm-hmm. and and yeah. you know for making making injections and there was a thing where you know they had the glass connected um to uh, this sort of thing so that when you looked at the skin and the glass you could immediately see the veins and immediately um 
you know, uh, use the needle that way. Um, that is very and, cool. And there, there, there are other sorts of use cases too, um, especially, you know, if you're wanting to do any sort of augmented reality kind of stuff. So there are a ton of, I think, business use cases for this type of technology that just frankly never existed in the consumer world. And I think that Glass's biggest problem, frankly, was their perception issue because the glass whole thing took off. And um, I mean, A, the device wasn't very practical, but B, it just kind of became like you. it had kind of social pariah status where um, yeah. there was so much controversy around people having it on their faces. I think because the camera was so prominent um, yeah. that, that, that trying to wear it as a day-to-day device didn't work. Whereas if you're making this very much of an industrial work device, having a camera has a utility now versus being an invasion of someone's privacy. Yeah. And the way it looked never did achieve what no. I would expect from a consumer item that you would wear never. every day. I mean – yeah, you're not going to – it is less awkward to take out my phone and look at Google Maps to navigate somewhere than if I were wearing something on my face and navigating that way, pers- in my opinion. Although I think navigation was the one thing that Google Glass actually got right. I actually liked that because I believe that you could it, see- it would be right, but the perception of it, again, like you said – Oh, definitely. Quote, unquote, oh, I, I'm not arguing yeah. that in, the, in, in the slightest, but it's, it's uh, definitely one of those things where um, – you, you actually being able to see the direction and having arrows point to you or see a map on the screen and see like where you are. And so, you know, if you're turned the right way or the wrong way or not, yeah, was actually kind of useful. But I'm with you. The perception totally killed the whole product. Whereas in this case, they don't have to worry about being fashionable for anybody. The, the real challenge is now, can we get businesses to build stuff into this? And what's interesting, especially with a lot of Google's cloud stuff, is that you could kind of see of a world where this is connected, you know, that this is talking to their, you know, their cloud systems and, and maybe where databases where, you know, packages are stored to use that example or you know to pull up medical information if you just wanted to be able to pull up patient information you know for instance um and, and be able to kind of see a chart alongside someone's x-ray you mm-hmm. know as an example that could be cool mm-hmm. i guess that's where my my question is for you christine i i have to admit i don't know much about you know the the glass sdk i mean you know what is I mean, can you tell me about it? Like, what can it yeah, do? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's very similar, actually, to the Android Wear SDK. And mm-hmm. so a lot of it is kind of talking to other apps right now and then kind of showing intents or hints, you know, on the screen. But right. there's nothing that I guess would preclude people from maybe building custom apps and having some sort of interface where it could show a mapping layer, you know, for instance, um, or, you know, be useful for helping to scan in objects where if one in- one really fascinating part would be, for instance, if you're wanting to, to make it easier to log or to do inventory, this would be one example where you could literally use the camera to scan a barcode and it would see it and then mark that this has been checked in. Mm-hmm. You know, that that would be something that would be easy to do. But the SDK that they released, you know, last time they did it was was mostly aimed at, at consumers. And then they right. ended up kind of reneging on that and really kind of releasing some stuff for businesses. And because they're now part of the Google for Work program, I genuinely don't know what sort of things they have planned. But I do know just knowing some some of the other smart glasses that aren't Google Glass and some of the things that, that um, you know, people in the, in the health space have been working on with those systems has been pretty impressive. And I can imagine that Google would want to do what they could to make it possible for those, you know, enterprise companies to, to build those sorts of things to at least work with, with, with whatever this next evolution of glass is. Yeah, I'm sure it they would at least want to be as a move part of it. it. So, yeah. it's, su- it's such a smart move. It, it, it makes more sense than anything I've heard about Google Glass since it <laughs> arrived on the scene. Are, do you th- are they having to do any sort of recouping to make it more attractive to businesses because of that initial kind of 
SCSI phase or I mean, because it, it makes a lot of sense as a business product. I totally, totally see the uses for it. But yeah, what I don't know what its reputation is like in that sphere. And that's interesting. I think that they had good brand recognition from a business perspective. So I think you could say to somebody, Google Glass, and they would at least have an idea of what it is versus if you say Epson Smart Glass, they might be like, what? <laughs> I think that it's probably going to come down to the salespeople, frankly, at Google. You know, there, there are Google forward people making the case to these businesses, to these healthcare offering operators, to these, you know, shipping companies, to, you know, the Amazon type places of the world to say, you know, this is actually going to help your business, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and working, frankly, with their ISVs, their independent software vendors to make solutions that would be sellable. So it'll probably, I would imagine it would be sold in kind of a package thing where you would have a software solution and they would say, we've got this hardware component that's that's adding on to it rather than going to a business and saying, here's Google Glass, you can integrate it to your business. I think it would more be like, here's the solution for this problem you have and it includes, you know, this this hardware device, which happens to be glass. Yeah. Well, that's where I can see them working with this more than I can see Apple doing something like this, because Google is going to have to give up a certain amount of its autonomy like this, yes. like very similar to Android, right? Um, because I think it's like you say, um, you know, when you own a business, you are approached constantly <laughs> by people <laughs> trying to sell you stuff. And, you know, like... The way I see this being functional in enterprise is like giving people solutions to problems. And maybe that's custom hardware variants. And, you know, um, like you're talking an example where the camera is going to be on all the time. Well, Google Glass doesn't have that great a battery life, right? So, you know, you're going to need something with larger batteries on it. Exactly. So, I mean, th- this yeah, is why the Epson yeah. one has that Android tethered thing. It's not wireless like the Google Glasses, but it, that's one of the reasons is because it basically has this little mini Android phone on it and it doesn't have a phone component because that also has a battery. Right. So it's right. running off the Android core, you know. So, I mean, yeah, but you're right. You know, battery life, there are going to be those concerns and they're going to have to like the, the people who are trying to implement the solutions are going to have to figure it out. What's interesting is we're still hearing that um, uh, uh, Tony Fidel, who, uh, of course, is uh, the creator of Nest and was the, the the father of the iPod, has now been put in charge of, you know, Google Glass was moved under his team. And apparently he's still at work, you know, completely, you know, fundamentally reshaping, rethinking what glass will be from a consumer product. I have a feeling, though, that whenever they do come out with some sort of glass thing for consumers again, I have a very strong feeling it's not going to be called Google Glass. <laughs> um, I, just because I think I that brand is dead. Yeah. Just because I think that brand is dead. I think that they can maybe make some cases for it now in the business sector, and they're definitely changing things around. But I think if they tried, even with a radically 100% different design, and even if it looked great and had good functionality, I think that if you try to call it Google Glass, um, it would... It, it is the creeper glasses now, unfortunately. It, well, right. I mean, the, the negative the sentiment around it with consumers is so great, and the memories are so... still. I, even a few years from now, I think people will still remember, oh, well, oh I remember that thing. That was terrible. Um, that I think they're, I think they're going to have to rebrand. Yeah, it not only has the perception of creepiness, but... But then the added, I think, consumer perception of that never took off. It was a failure. I, I guess maybe this is one of these things where I hang out in dev spaces too much because, like, from my conception, I just know, like, friends that built cool things with it and have cool stories. And, and unfortunately, it's, it's, those it's, are not the stories that are getting I, out. <laughs> I, 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 this is one of these things where I don't have a perspective on that because I talk to developers all day. So, well, developers, yeah. some of them built cool things with it, but even the, 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 the people who are like the most passionate about glass, by the end, they had all given up on it, which was what was the people who were 
kind of responsible for giving it its terrible reputation, the glass holes, you know, the Nick stars of the world and the, the, the woman who got in the fight with the people in the mission and then recorded it and somehow thought that she should get the Google should pay for her to go to South by Southwest or something, you know, that uh, Sarah Slocum or something. Anyway, she, um, uh, you know, those people ended up giving up glass. You know, the, when, when, when you're explorers, the people who were leaving the terrible Yelp reviews on the places that didn't want glass there, when those people are like, yeah, you know, that just it's not worth it anymore when they can't keep up with it. It's like it might have been a fun hacking tool for developers, but I don't know anybody who, you know, kept up with it long term. I mean, even the most ardent supporters who were like convinced it was the second coming, even those people were like, yeah, okay, I'm done. I, I definitely know people that had it and were waiting for Google to kind of keep developing the software. And I think you're right that they kind of put it aside for a bit, but I don't think that was out of, I don't think it was completely out of a lack of belief in the platform. I think it was a frustration that you know, this well, wasn't being well, actively I, developed. Well, I mean, I think that, that I think that's fair. I mean, but at a certain point, once they, they recognized the writing on the wall that Google wasn't going to come through, yeah. and then they said, okay, this this isn't useful enough for me to still use it without Google making massive improvements. Yeah. That's more yeah, what I mean. Yeah. It's where Whereas there, there are def- definitely been examples historically where a company will abandon a product and you'll still have a legion of users who still use it to the bitter end. I mean, a recent example is um, Microsoft has their uh, um, Windows um, uh, Media Center. And, you know, it's it's this um, kind of like this, you know, home, this, this myth TV type of thing, like this great like home entertainment center um, console. It, w- it was introduced, I think, with one of the versions of XP and it was part of Windows 7 and Vista. And um, you could actually get it for Windows 8, but for Windows 10, it's not even going to install, it won't even work. And so there are people who are still part of this media center uh, community who are like devastated and are looking for solutions. I mean, that, that's what I mean. What product that Microsoft hasn't updated or touched in years and there's still a small dedicated, um, you know, legion of users, uh, Amiga users and people who still use their Amigas. Whereas with Glass, I genuinely don't know anybody who still uses it at all. And that's, A, that's kind of notable in and of itself. And B, I think that just kind of shows that, you know, maybe it was a fun hobby for a second, but it wasn't one of those things where anybody was like, my life has changed because of this. Mm. And hopefully something that they might pick up again, given the support, but... Not something that they see a use for right now. That's sad. <laughs> well, should we move on to dessert? Oh, boy. So did you want to talk about the Twitter storm, Christina, or should we go right into it? Uh, you no, know, I just want to talk about it very briefly because my, my article did just go We're getting out an exclusive as, as preview. Now. Or, getting exclusive preview or, or – or, 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 um, Yeah, post view, I guess, <laughs> of uh, basically um, – you know, the whole I, I explained the entire. Uh, so basically, there's been this big fight between Nicki Minaj and Taylor Swift, whereas Nicki Minaj, her video for Anaconda and and her other video for um, uh, Feeling Myself were not nominated for Video of the Year at the Video Music Awards, which, as we know, is the most prestigious uh, award show there is. Um, can you guys hear my eye roll through this conversation? <laughs> I was like, so wait, she made some guys. Wait, what? I have to uh, reevaluate no, I mean, look, my worldview. <laughs> it, 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 it had um, some some strong. Um, I mean, there were some strong VMA moments. I actually wrote about this as saying, you know, um, look, 
it's a show that used to be really relevant and interesting. See Madonna in a wedding dress singing um, like a version. Britney singing Satisfaction in nude colored clothes. Britney with a snake. Britney and Madonna kissing. <laughs> Britney dancing like she was a zombie. Your Kanye bias interrupting is Taylor. showing. <laughs> and of course, Miley dry humping Robin Thicke. Of course. No, my, of course. My, I'm not even a Britney fan. Britney just had a bunch of really good VMA performances. My favorite being when she was totally zombied out and looked drugged and fat. And then uh, Chris Cocker was like, leave Britney alone. And it was an amazing moment of pop culture. Anyway, the VMAs used to be really relevant. Now no one cares. I I, I could be a conspiracy theorist and say this whole feud is all about the fact that no one cares um, about the VMAs anymore and they want to talk about it. But Nicki Minaj's videos weren't nominated for Video of the Year and she was really upset by that. And so she started calling attention to the fact that she feels like if she wasn't a person of color and if her body wasn't what it is, that she would have been nominated and and, and um, praised. And she threw some light shade at Taylor mm-hmm. Swift saying, you know, that somebody else, you know, um, you know, went breaks the record video and she's up, uh, you know, a, a, a video views record. She's up there and somebody else has skinny women in videos and, and, and she's nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also talking about larger issues of, of women of color. And so Taylor Swift responded to the shade being called out, which, frankly, look, she shouldn't have. She just should have not gotten involved. She's the most powerful person in the world. Just stay out of it. <laughs> um, the drama largely subsided today. I think both there were a lot of hot take think pieces where most people were team <laughs> Nikki, right? Yes. And then, and then, and then... Katy Perry has to jump in. <laughs> you guys. You guys. You guys. Now, if you've listened to Rocket episode 19, then you know the entire backstory between the Katy Perry and 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 Taylor Swift feud and the rat and why that's the the whole uh, you know the, the piece is persistent. I love that you know that Rocket 19 just off the top here. <laughs> oh, I had to look it up because I linked to it in my article. Oh, oh my god. I linked to it in my article. Oh, thank you. Um, and and also people on the internet they were like, "Oh, I know why they're feuding because of Rocket." I heard it on a Film Girl podcast. It was like yeah, exactly. So, you know, obviously, so Katy Perry, 24 hours after this whole thing is 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 done, she has to get involved. And she okay. tweets. I'm finding the tweet now. She goes. She was finding it ironic to braid the pit women against other women argument about as one unmeasurably capitalizes on takedown of a woman. <laughs> Ow. First well, I had to read really it six times to even <laughs> know. understand what yeah. she was saying. There's no grammar. No, I know. <laughs> and it totally. I mean, unmeasurably is is technically a word, but it's not a good one. And then she says the real travesty is that Rihanna's Better Have My Money video um, was, uh, wasn't was nominated. And that's because it just missed the cutoff uh-huh. date. And she's right. I mean, look, th- there are two real travesties. One, that Blank Space was not nominated for Video of the Year and said bla- Bad Blood was when Blank Space was the far better video. Uh, and two, I mean, if we're being real... Even though it was released the day of the, the, the cutoff or whatever, which better have my money, should win everything. Yeah. Because it's everything ever. It's it, This is so interesting to me. I, Nicki Minaj made so many good points about the way that the media she is did. responding to this as Nicki Minaj is attacking Taylor Swift when Nicki yep. – like. Taylor just should not have touched it with a 10-foot pole. No. Like For one thing, it was not no, no, necessarily no, – no, no, no. About you, aimed at you, something that you should have responded. It was, well, yeah, but like it not was, for but, her but, to but respond to. Well, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Look, there was clearly shade, yeah, um, about her. But you're dead and on. Then, I mean, it was one of those things where she didn't get the entire context, and by not getting that context, she shouldn't have gotten involved. But the other, the other dessert topic this week, yes. Journalism is exploding, guys. It's <sighs> exploding. Speaking of drama. Oh, Speaking of drama. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my this god. Is, the, the- wow. We had to have a talk on Rocket before we talked about this because I'm like, look, I DGAF. Like, I don't work in this field. Can you two even talk about it? Like, 
and I had to be like, and I and I and I had to like open this up with the caveats. It's like, well, there's a good chance I may work with some of these people sometime in the future of the next thirty years of my career. Two, Gawker moves into our building next week. Are you gonna like go have coffee with them and you know throw an office party? Well, we already like uh, uh, one of my colleagues ran into one of the Gawker people last week, like right as the stuff was exploding. They were both on MSNBC together, and um, uh, she like said, "Oh, I'll show you the the you know the rooftop or whatever of the building because um, our building has an uh, um, kick ass roof." So, I mean, I, I'd be very happy to like toast them all on the roof or like go for a walk or whatever, like listen to any event. The whole situation sucks, frankly. But anyway, let's do some backup. Who wants to give some uh, um, exposition to this? So. Yes. <laughs> Gawker published an article essentially outing a, a figure at a major media company, and the ensuing mess basically was that the CEO and founder of Gawker set, took the article down, and following that, the editorial team at Gawker revealed that there was a behind-the-scenes disagreement between the business side of Gawker and the editorial side of Gawker, where the business side wanted that article taken down with because it was very problematic, but also because it was not attractive to advertisers. The editorial team, while not entirely in agreement that the article should have been published or left up, felt that the decision to leave it up or take it down should have been left to them. So uh, the editor-in-chief resigned, the executive editor resigned as well, and the internet is on fire and will be for the foreseeable can I add future. One quick thing on onto that, like it yeah. is hard to stress just how problematic this article it was, was awful. and just how much everyone collectively on the internet, regardless of who you vote for or what you like or what your political party, like GamerGate. And like all the people on the other side, like the targets of Gamergate are all looking at this going, oh, that's not good, right? Like, that, <laughs> like that's two people coming together. Like this is, it was. It was essentially facilitating was, blackmail is what it was. It was disgusting. It was. And the person the article was about was so not in any position of credibility whatsoever. And the thing that was so upsetting about this is, you know, this isn't an elected official. There was no newsworthiness in this. It was just outing someone with syndromes when it served no one in the public any good whatsoever, except possibly their media competitors, right? Right. So it, it was, um, and, yeah. and, and even then, I, I, I would, you know, question, given the person's position, I don't, I don't even know, like, how that would be beneficial. Right. I mean, it just seemed a nasty post. And the thing is, is that for me, even though I think that it was a terrible post and, and someone asked me, you know, have you thought about how things would play out at Mashable if something like this happened? And I said, in the abstract, sure, but, but to be very clear, we never would have published no. the original story. Yeah. It's not who we are. It's not our brand. Having said that, I don't want to, you know, because Gawker has had a history of posting these sorts of things in the past, maybe not the most recent past, but they certainly have a history of doing this. And it's sort of what the site was known for at one time. Um, I don't want to get into judging someone else's editorial decisions when I don't know all the details that are going into it. You know, I, I, as a person who's an outsider and only knows what I see, I don't want to make any condemnations or, or judgments of things I don't know about. What I will say is the thing I had the biggest issue with, even aside from the substance of the article, even assuming that it was newsworthy, which I, I don't think it was, but I am not ready to fully make that judgment. I, I, or I'm willing to admit that my opinion on that doesn't matter. And that, you know, I'm not somebody who was who was in charge of that. But even if you deem that to be newsworthy, 
what bothers me is that the source to me i think as a journalist i always think about is the source reliable right and in this case the source was not reliable it, it was a bad source somebody who was clearly crazy who had ulterior motives who was using this as a way to to you know basically extort someone else and to well, me that would i wouldn't say crazy i would just say selfish and uh, no, well, I know. I mean, there, there. If you saw some of the things from the interviews that that other publications did with this person, there were some pretty crazy rantings. I mean, we're talking like weird nine eleven conspiracy theories, and like somebody who genuinely is like off their rocker. And so, you know, in that case, I'm thinking, I, I don't understand why this person would be credible. And even if if what you saw you thought was accurate, why you would want to you know throw your lot in with with this source? Because to me, if if I'm going to publish something that's going to be damaging this damaging, the the source better be good. And in this case, the source wasn't mm-hmm. reliable or good. It was like The Verge said in their write-up of this, was, is this really the hill that Gawker wants to die on? Is trusting this source, is fighting over the validity of this particular article? And like I, I totally get the question of whether whether the editorial decision should have been left up to the editorial team or not. It's so hard for me to get to that point of thinking about it because I just, how, how in the world was this published in the first place? I genuinely do not understand it. Well, but even going beyond that, I mean, what I think is interesting is, yeah, there's this this story that was terrible. But the thing that there seem to be two really interesting issues stemming from this. So, you know, Gawker is an umbrella brand. And, you know, I know a lot of people that work in the game industry, you know, um, and I know a lot of, you know, feminist writers, you know, I know people that work at any number of, you know, Gawker sub-brands, you know, whether that's Kotaku or Jezebel or, you know, Jalopnik or, you know, all these other different kinds of brands. And what I've seen this week is I, I've seen some soul-searching, but I've also seen a lot of what I consider to be really unfair obloquy and critique of people that work at Kotaku and Jezebel being like, how can you work there? How dare you? Is this ethical? Like, how dare you? How can you sleep at night? And it's such a childish, it's such a childish thing. I mean, because it's, it's, look, you know what? When you're young and when you have lots of things going for you, you can take a moralistic stance on a lot of things. But to me, it would be the same way, which is, and people have said this to me before. They said, knowing your politics, knowing what you believe in, how can you go on Fox News and and talk about things? It's and it's a valid question. My answer is a. I'm not talking about politics. Um, b. If I was asked about politics, I would share my opinion, and I would never be asked back. You know, I'm doing something else. But also, c. I'm, I'm representing my company, and if they want me to go there and do media outreach and whatnot, that's fine. Um, but there are lots of people who work for companies that do bad things. You know, there are good people who work for Monsanto. There are people who, you know, if you look at any company's history, there there are especially if any company of any size, where they do things that are untenable. If you're going to ask that every single person that work there be willing to give up their job and their livelihood because of something that had nothing to do with them, that happened in other departments by other people that were not their decisions to make, um, I think that that's silly. And I think even people who work for Gawker proper, who maybe work directly with the writer of the post and, and the editor who published it and edited it, you know, it wasn't their story. Um, and, 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 and yeah, as you said, Simone, it's hard out there to get jobs. Journalism is not an easy game, especially, you know, the way that the traditional media establishment has basically collapsed. All we've got are kind of the online places and, you know, there's a lot of money kind of in them, but it's also one of those things where everybody's like, how are we going to make money? Which is 
one of the reasons why this ended up blowing up the way it did is kind of this church and state battle. And I think that anybody calling on anyone else to resign because of one story, um, you don't work there. You don't know the situation. And mm-hmm. and I think that that, again, I think that being moralistic and judging saying, how can you, you know, it, look, the New York Times publishes a lot of stuff that a lot of people don't agree with. And so does the Wall Street Journal. You know, the Wall Street Journal's uh, editorial page is pretty terrible, but I wouldn't ask Joanna Stern not to work at the Wall Street Journal. There's such a, this is, I think, a very American thing of putting this responsibility on the individual to act in a way if you work for Jezebel if you work for Kotaku if you work for Gawker even like there like you said Christiana you don't have necessarily all the control over that situation you also need to make a living and you need to eat it is ridiculous to put the pressure of morality on individuals who work for these companies i think what we need to do is just i really reevaluate i guess the validity of certain stories it's something they should have that team should have been doing in the first place like you said the validity of the source what the story is accomplishing and that's something structurally that i see didn't happen in this case and it i yeah so it's well, it's, it's not an individual not thing like, it's a group it's thing. also not like you're helping anything by just leaving automatically right i mean you know like that's a, that's a great point. You know, that's a great point because I, maybe, maybe you want to change the system from within and you can't do that. You need people to stand up and take a hit. You know, you can't just, you know, it is so easy when you're younger to just see the world in black and white. And it's like, you know, Christina, like, I, I can't imagine giving you a hard time for going on Fox News. You're talking about tech, <laughs> you're representing your brand. It has nothing to do with anything. And it's like, you don't have the luxury of living in this childish world where you can't like <laughs> do any professional tasks that might have to do with something you don't disagree with. I got an ungodly, ridiculous amount of heat for going and having a cup of coffee and talking about employee retention of women with a really well-known conservative figure in my field. And I did it because I'm an adult. And sometimes <laughs> like talking to people you don't disagree with, those are the strongest bridges you can make, right? Without a doubt. So it's just moralizing. But I I also think the other really interesting part of this story is the hypocrisy of, you know, Gawker's founder kind of stepping in, taking this post down. And, you know, the two Gawker editors ended up resigning about that. And I very firmly stand with them on this. You know, Gawker has recently gone through, they voted to unionize in part, you know, and I know people that took part in that vote. And, you know, they said they were very proud about it. And part of the reason they did that is they wanted editorial independence from exactly this kind of of muddling with editorial content. And the just beyond hypocrisy of it, there was a huge story that came out last year where, um, what is it, Grantland went through and outed a transgender uh, designer of a golf club. And they outed uh, this woman and she ended up killing herself. And it was a huge journalistic scandal, quite correctly. And the fa- the editor of Jezebel provided a document that happened a year ago, one year ago, one year ago, where the same person that stepped in and took it down, 
um, actually instructed a Jezebel writer that if she had a problem with outing transgender people against their will, that she needed to quit and go find another job. Well, so, that, okay, yeah. okay. In, in fairness, that wasn't exactly what was said. It was more like the idea was that if that's how you really... We're truth absolutists. We're tr- right. I mean, it wasn't as if saying your job is to, is to out trans people. I, I, I don't want that. I mean, complaints should be made. I mean, but it was very much saying we're truth absolutists. And if you think that there's never an opportunity, you think it's never right to out someone, you're wrong. Now, I think that's wrong personally, but that was more his statement, I think, more than... I want you to out trans people. Um, I read it as if you have an ethical objection to outing someone against their will, um, you know, we personally don't have a problem here. If that is part of getting a story, then we are going to do that. So no, yeah. and, 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 and and no, you're right. I don't read it that way. I just, I, I think the way you phrased it before was maybe a little bit, sure. It didn't need to be explained as much, sure. but, but no, but it was certainly, you know, hypocritical. Um, and I think that the bigger issue and the one that, that really, I think is kind of at the core of a lot of this and, and apparently Gawker has been having meetings the last few days where a lot of the, the staffers have been yelling at Nick Denton quite a bit. Um, has been, you know, so Gawker is about to go through this big lawsuit with Hulk Hogan, yeah. uh, which, frankly, from from journalistic grounds, I really hope Gawker wins. Uh, I do think that this incident is going to hurt them. Uh, it's interesting to note, I think that actually the the two people that voted to keep the post up were the lawyer and then the the editor, the the people on the five person committee. And I think the reason the lawyer wanted to keep it up is that she thought the post was legal and probably realized that taking it down will actually do them a disservice once this, you know, thing finally goes to trial in Florida because admission of it'll show uh, exactly and say, oh, we have a history of this. Whereas if they'd kept it up, they could say, look, maybe it's distasteful, but if it's legal, we're keeping it will up it, and we're standing will by it our, our since stuff. It happened after the Hulk Hogan thing. I'm, I'm sure it absolutely right. will because it's, it's, it, it's, you know, just showing the pattern of, okay. of this is the type of place this publication is. Um, regardless, you know, um, they're they're going through this big you know Hulk Hogan lawsuit and and it's already cost them millions of dollars and it, it, if they lose it, the company could it, the company could be on the line frankly you know depending on what and what the punitive damages are and um you know they're they're growing um but you know uh, Denton wrote about what he calls the the Gawker or he spoke about what he calls the Gawker tax which is the amount of revenue they lose because of their reputation oh. and he's trying to limit what that tax is and I think what's happened is. You know, he started the site 13 years ago, and it had a certain reputation and existed in a certain world. And back then, you know, the established media still wasn't keen on the internet and wasn't there yet. And they were kind of the ranketeers. And they've kind of had that, like, almost, you know, kind of like, give no bleeps. Yeah. Um, mentality. And they've kind of been kind of that, the, the, those types of, of journalists. But when you're trying to build a real business out of it, um, there are real problems and real constraints. You know, the, the building they're moving into, which disclosure is the same building my office is in. They've got three floors. We've got two. And their floor plan looks much nicer than ours, um, even though ours is nice. Um, you know, I mean, I, from what I understand, they're, they're spending a pretty penny on this. And they've, they've signed a, a, a 10-year lease. Wow. Um, and and so there's, there's a lot of money built into this. And I think that, you know, I, I – I get the sense that, you know, Denton is looking at things from a business perspective and trying to say, how do I balance the the journalism and the fact that we need to pay for this journalism? And I think that the, those are valid things to have a conversation about. And I think every news organization has those sorts of balances. And, and even though we always say there's this strict wall between church and state, meaning sales and editorial, the reality is that the wall is sometimes porous. Mm-hmm. Um, it can sometimes be really, you know, uh, porous. Uh, and, and sometimes it can be really, really, you know, um, opaque. Um, but I think that the... Um, 
the, the, the issue is that they're trying to figure out how we can make money and still do what we do. Um, and it's a tough transition to go from being kind of gonzo to being more of a business. Yeah. And I don't know if he's doing a great job with it, but I also understand the perspective of the editorial employees who are saying, look, we unionized. We want to have control of, of the editorial masthead. You might be CEO and founder, but you're no, you haven't been on editorial in a long time. You said you would give us control, but what this proves is that push comes to shove, even though you say this is a one-time thing, you can take the reins any time. And that's a scary position, I think, for some people to be in. Now, for other people, I would say maybe that's just something you need to accept and say, I'm working at a place, and if my boss, my biggest boss doesn't like post, it can go away. That's just never been the place Gawker was. You know, Gawker, even through this whole thing, is a remarkably transparent organization. Part of the reason we're talking about this is because they live tweet the meetings, because they post about things in their kinjas, because the Gawker's policy has always been to be the most transparent, even about their own dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's both a good and a bad thing. You know, it, it, it's a good thing, I guess, for like, you know, the, the popcorn lovers and whatnot. <laughs> but it's a bad thing if your company is genuinely going through changes and you're trying to adjust to the new media currency where BuzzFeed is valued at $500 million and has all this money and Vox is coming up and you've got other competitors like Business Insider. And that's not to even mention the establishment media companies yeah. that are still out there. Um, so in, in the ad game is hard, you know, so it's like, I get that it's a complicated situation. I just think the whole thing sucks. And I feel for, I feel for people on both sides, frankly. It's yeah. I think it, it's, it sucks for everyone involved. <laughs> it's, it's, it's frustrating. So today's episode of rocket things suck. <laughs> <laughs> All no, right. I mean, I really can't help it look at the tenor of some of the people I know that you know work for these sub brands of Gawker. And I mean, the stress of the situation is clearly getting to a lot of people. And, you know, I, I hope for the sake of those people with jobs in media, which are stressful enough already, they can get, um, get some balance in this situation. Yeah. Uh, cool. So <laughs> what are we doing this week? <laughs> Up to things that don't suck. I uh, I'm working on. Mm, can't talk about it. All Sorry. Right. <laughs> secret secret service <laughs> activities. Christina, what are you up to? Well, I finished my iPod Touch review, so that's up on yes. Mashable. If anybody wants to read my take, um, I also wrote the Taylor Swift, Nicki Minaj, Katy Perry feud article. A must read. Uh, so that's up. A must read. That's the most important thing you should read all week. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Seriously, <laughs> and I'm working on a story actually about Apple Watch um, developers and and what kind of the real story is there. Um, kind of a, a you know um, going off of, of one of the things Brian X Chen wrote for the New York Times this week. Um, so I'm doing a couple of things, and then just uh uh. Actually, I'm very excited about this. I'm finally going to see Magic Mike XXL <gasps> oh, tomorrow. Oh, you lucky duck. I'm so excited. Oh. Yeah, so um, I'm going with, with some female friends where we have kind of a group that we call um, Women Who Wine. And, and how wine is spelled is W and then there's a H in parentheses and then I-N-E. So it can be both like wine or wine. Uh, and so we're going to be going to WWXXL. Uh, tomorrow so i'm looking forward to that what about you simone I've what are you wanting to? to see that movie for so long i'll apparently be watching scream uh i published a really a video that i'm actually quite proud of today which hopefully won't be invalidated by future news which uh courtney and i were talking about who the next president of nintendo is going to be and she had a really solid theory that she put forth so i i published that video on pixelkin today 
And <laughs> we filmed it yesterday. And I literally like woke up this morning being like, please don't let Nintendo have announced anything. Like this is very time sensitive information. Um, but other than that, I'll just be I'll be doing the news and scaring the crap out of myself for the rest of the week. As usual. Yay! Drinking wine. We love you. No more chocolate milk and vodka. I got rid of the chocolate milk powder. I don't know if you guys have been following my tweeting <laughs> of my horrible choices. <laughs> I have not. I have not. Yeah. I wanted to make a white Russian, but I didn't have any Kahlua, so I put chocolate milk powder in vodka and milk, and I called it a white American instead. So <laughs> All right. Cool. So where can we find you online, Brianna? Uh, see, I was the top story on CNN uh, Money all weekend, which I was Aww. very happy about. Uh, Heck yeah. Had a really big article on Slashdot uh, where they asked me some really aggressive, mean questions and uh. dished it back to them. And then the comment section uh, got really angry at me. So you can see me there or you can see me on Twitter nice. under the Twitter account Space Cat Cow. Very cool. Christina? So you can find me um, on mashable.com slash people slash Christina. And you can find me on Twitter as uh, Swift Lover. No, I'm kidding. Uh, as a film, film you underscore You almost outed yourself there. Gosh. I did. Mm. I did. I did. I, and for the record, I am not InfoSec Taylor Swift, but but I do love her. I love her too. I feel like you're in cahoots secretly. Most likely. I can neither confirm or deny that. <laughs> and I'm on the Twitter machine at doomcoizar and at pixelkin.org. Uh, oh, re- oh, before we end the yeah. show, can I say one more thing? Um, my friend, my friend Shannon's son, Higgins. Yes. Um, yeah, she just finished a documentary. Uh, it's called GTFO. I'm in it. Ania Sarkeesian is in it. Um, Patrick Klepek is in it. Um, Brenda Romero is in it. But, you know, more than like us being in this it is the story of a lot of women that play games in the game industry you can buy it for like ten dollars on itunes right now and we'll leave a a link to it in the chat or you can rent it but it is is a really good movie you know one one of my favorite things about this is for the the shoot that we did for the documentary i didn't want to do a segment of like you know, complaining and going through the spiel that I've done a thousand times. So what we did was we actually brought in a young high school student that uh, she wanted to learn how to make games and she sat down with an animator and she ended up doing some of the animation that made it into our final game. And the cameras actually followed her around for most of oh the day. Oh my God, that's so, amazing. Yeah, yeah. That it's, is so it's cool. It's solving a problem instead of complaining about it. So it's GTFO. It really is a good movie. And yeah, I hope everyone out there will go um you know watch it and yeah my friend shannon worked very hard on it yeah go check that out on itunes and while you're on itunes make sure that you have clicked a star on our podcast page it doesn't have to be the five star review it should be the five star just rate and review review. it should be but but just rate review us we love you we deserve five stars we do (laughs) (laughs) you know you know do what you do you you do you and terminated 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 